Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. We're going to continue with Paul on his journey to Rome, Acts chapter 27. We'll begin in verse 21 here in a moment. Before you before we begin to, to read, though, I, I do want to share with you, let you know about an opportunity that our, our church has this fall that we would ask for you to be in prayer about. Uh, as we've, we've talked about before, as we finished the building and moved in here, we, we kind of talked a little bit about our, our vision going forward, and we said we want to continue to, to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, prepare his people to worship him forever. We want to be in, involved in discipleship here. But we also want to, as, as we move into this, this building, uh, turn our attention outside of our, our own walls as well and think about ways that we can strengthen and establish other uh, churches in the world and in our own community. And we talked about uh, how it would be our desire to perhaps plant a church that the Lord would direct us to or revitalize a church that might uh, need some assistance. And so we've been praying that God would direct us to an area to plant or uh, direct us to a church to revitalize, and, and we're still praying toward that end. But over the, the past month or so, uh, we've been in conversations with uh, Rome Baptist Church in Chillicothe, and uh, they are a church that is looking for a pastor and they are, they've kind of asked for some help in filling their pulpit. And on Tuesday night, the elders agreed that over the fall, so this, this fall, uh, we would help with their worship services on Sunday morning. So we would provide uh, someone to, to preach. We'll be preaching through uh, the, the book of First John here in the fall. Uh, several of us will be. And then also on, on Wednesday nights, we're going to be going over there at, at 6 and doing a, a little study on what is a healthy church. And and our, our goal during this, this time would just really to begin a relationship with this church and see if, if God would call us to, to do uh, something more, perhaps even a work of revitalization there. And, and as we've, we've talked about it as, as elders, we realize we're not uh, ready yet. To, to, we don't have enough information yet to make that decision, but we really do hope that over this, this fall we can at least encourage these uh, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And we would ask that you as a church would be praying toward that end as well, give us, uh, that God would give us as a church wisdom and how we could be involved in, in caring for these uh, precious saints and that also, um, also God would be raising up, if, if this is something, if God would be calling us to do a work of revitalization here, that he'd be raising up people to be a part of it. And, and maybe that's, even as I'm talking, that's something that interests you, being involved in something like that. We would ask you to you know, let me know or uh, you can let Jordan Embry know. He's kind of handling point uh, with the communication with Rome Baptist during the fall. And so uh, be sure to, to, to talk to someone about that if that's something that's, that's interesting to you. Uh, I was talking with uh, Josh Mond about um, kind of this opportunity. And he said, you know, it's not just uh, one church that learns from another church. Because I think there's a lot that Bethany Community Church can learn during this fall, too, as they kind of in, involve themselves in a church that's in a different uh, setting and different situation than we are, and I think that's exactly right. So uh, be, be sure to be praying for us as we uh, think about this. Well, let's, uh, let's look at Acts chapter 27, and remember Paul is on a journey here headed toward Rome, and we're in the midst of a storm, and so if you're able to, please stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. We're looking at verses 21 through the end of the chapter, verse 44, but I'm going to start where we ended in verse 20 last week. 
When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. And we begin verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding and again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and seemed immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any, of the, any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Let's, let's pray. Father, again, we, we do ask for your kindness to us as we look at your word. We pray for us in the different storms in which we, we find ourselves. And, and we do, as, as was already prayed, I think of our brothers and sisters and uh, regions that were affected by the, the hurricane, you know, even just this morning hearing about uh, Family Church in, in part, uh, Port Charlotte and how they lost their worship center, and, and we pray for uh, Pastor Jim there and, and other, other churches all throughout that region. Many of us, I'm sure, could, could uh, mention specific churches, and we, we do lift up them this morning as they uh, seek to worship you. We pray for them and their, their communities 
uh, that they would be uh, beacons of light, that they would point people to your son Jesus, and that even through this uh, disaster, we would see uh, more worshipers of you as a result and help us, help us as we're able to, to care for those who are hurting. We pray for our church now as, as we uh, turn our attention to your word and, 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 and preaching. Uh, help us to, to communicate uh, effectively and, and clearly this morning. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes tempting to give up on the people that you are leading. Maybe you're a a parent, you're a a pastor, you're in some sort of ministry or a volunteer in an organization, and and there can can come a point where it's it's tempting just to kind of say, I'm I'm done. I I give up on these people that I'm trying to to lead. And and sometimes uh, the people who are tempted to give up are, are people we might not suspect are at the end of their willingness to, to serve. I've shared before about a, a church that I was in where, where one Sunday there were a bunch of leaders and they all stood up and resigned and the, the next Sunday they were at a, another church in the area. And I, I think I've shared before how, how disorienting that was for me and, and just the, the sense of, man, I'm in this, I'm in this imperfect church and, and we don't have the things together that we need to have together, and it's so discouraging to see all of our leaders just, just get up and leave, and here we are in this imperfect church, and then to, to look at this other church that everyone went to and think, man, that, that church is perfect. That, that church has it all together. In fact, uh, one of the leaders came back and told me how much that church had it all together and how great the pastor was and how great the service was and how great the, the people there were. And I said, well, that's just swell. I'm so happy for you. I wasn't. Uh, but, you can, but I remember feeling, man, I, I kind of wish I was at that, that perfect church, and I can't imagine how easy that, that pastor has, has it just to be able to have all those people come to his church. It wasn't very long ago where I was actually talking with another person in leadership at that, that perfect church, and they didn't know that I was at the imperfect church during this time, but they were talking about their perfect church there during that time, they said, yeah, that was actually a really, really dark time for us. He said, during that time, we, we suddenly had a bunch of people from these, these churches that were very disgruntled, and, and now they were coming to our church, and there was just this incredible havoc that they reached on our, uh, kind of wreaked on our church, and, and we didn't know what to do, and we were having these 3 a.m. phone calls with each other, and the senior pastor gave his resignation during this time, and, and it was just just incredibly dark, bleak time, and uh, my first thought was, well, that's kind of a relief to know. Um, but my second thought, my better thought was, boy, that, that, that poor pastor, I, I had no idea from, from the outside, I couldn't know that, that things were so difficult during that time, that he was ready to give up these people that he'd been called to, to care for. And again, maybe that's some of you this morning. Maybe people from the outside would have no idea that your, your family is just in a turmoil. Maybe someone would have no idea that the ministry, the care group that you lead is in turmoil, or the company that you are a manager for is in turmoil. People wouldn't know from the outside that you're at a point where you're, you're ready to give up. But what I would encourage you to do this morning is to, to look at God's Word with me. We're all in positions of influence, and some of the people that are in positions of influence in our church, we've, we've been brought to the point that we're ready to throw in the towel. 
you've concluded you're not the leader that these people need, need, and you've also concluded that they are certainly not the people you want to be leading. And so you're ready to, to give up. Here's the main idea that I want us to think about again this morning. During the storm, godly leaders challenge people to believe God will accomplish his good purposes, and they challenge themselves to do the same. So, so during the storm, godly leaders are going to continue to encourage their, their people to believe that God is going to accomplish his good purposes, and they're also going to challenge themselves with that truth. And remember, uh, we began to, to look at this last week, and we looked at four truths last week, and we're also going to look at four more this morning, but let's kind of recap what we looked at last week. Remember, first of all, we saw where Paul was traveling. Let's see a little map here. Remember, we, we looked at this, this map, and we, we saw that Paul traveled at the bottom right of your screen there from Caesarea, and he began to, to make his way to Rome when he was sailing from Nidus to Rome, the ship was blown off course to the south, and then we, we left him in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, there kind of where that number six is last week. And these were the, the four principles as we talked about how this, this mission is God's mission, but he uses means to accomplish his mission, including the means of human beings. We begin to look at four principles of, of leadership. So in this passage, God is using Paul's influence to accomplish his mission. And the first truth that we looked at last week is that leaders receive their influence from God. I'm going to go through these kind of quickly, and you can, you can uh, look at them later on the, 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 uh, the, the message. But the second principle is that leaders serve in the context of relationships. They're not uh, people who hold themselves aloof from the people that they are caring for. The third principle we saw is that leaders accept that they can't prevent all disasters. They, they realize that and are okay with it. And then the fourth principle that we looked at, and we closed with this last week, is that leaders accompany people into life's storms. They, they're on, we're all in the same boat. We go into that storm together. And that brings us to the fifth principle that I want us to look at. It's this. Leaders persevere in pointing people to God's special revelation. Leaders persevere in pointing people to God's special revelation. And look at verse 21 with me. Remember verse 20, neither sun nor stars have appeared for many days. There's no small tempest that lay on us. And Luke says, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They've, they've given up. And now, as, as some time passes, Paul stands up, it says. Now, I want you to notice he doesn't stand up immediately, right? He doesn't just, as soon as the, the first wind kind of begins to, to blow from the north and the boat begins to be blown off course, Paul doesn't just suddenly stand up and say, I told you so. He doesn't, day two, look around and say, wow, this is crazy, right? If only someone would have seen this coming. Oh, wait, I did. That's not how Paul handles this. He also doesn't hold himself aloof. He doesn't kind of fold his, his arms and just kind of sit back on the boat and say, well, when they're ready to apologize, then I will be ready to consider telling them the things that I've heard from the Lord. That's not how Paul operates. Some time passes, the storm continues, and at the right moment, Paul speaks and he receives this word from the Lord, and it's at a point where they've been without food a, a long time, and 
maybe they've been able to eat because of the, the tossing of the boat, maybe from anxiety. But for, for whatever reason, God, the right moment, gives Paul something to say. And I want you to notice there's, there's three words, three types of things that he says. First of all, there's a word of correction. Look at the text. There's a word of correction. He stands up in verse 21, and he says, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. And he's talking about in verse 10, whenever he says, look, this is a bad idea. This is going to be a, a terrible thing to do. And based upon just his experience as someone who had traveled a lot, he says, this is not what we should be doing. That's, that's what he's talking about. It's a word of correction. Now, I don't think that Paul's tone here is a, a tone of, I told you so. Sometimes you read this and, and kind of the, the tone is, you should have listened to me, not said. I don't think that's the way in which he, he says it. Right? I think it's, look, guys, you, you should have listened to me and, and not done what you did. Now, he's saying this as a word of correction to, to help them not make the same mistake. Again, his, his purpose here, and give this word of correction, is redemptive. This is not what we should always say in a situation, right? We're not next to our spouse at a on a rainy day at a soccer game and say, well, if you listen to me, we would have gone back in and got the umbrella. That, that's not what's happening here. That's, that's a terrible thing to say. You know, I was talking with a, a dad this morning. He was talking about uh, just the, the need to, to not always say everything we're thinking to our children about the words of correction. There's, there's a right time, and Paul waits the right time and the right time in order to help them do the right thing. He first offers this word of correction. Look, we, we should have done something different, Right? We shouldn't have begun this in the first place. But not only is there a word of correction, the second thing we see is that there's a word of hope. Look what he, what he goes on to say. He says, yet, in verse 22, yet, now I urge you to, to take heart, literally to, to have good cheer, for there will be no loss of life among you, but the ship's toast, right? So none of us are going to die. The ship is not going to make it, but this, this, there's this word of hope. And now, why does he have this word of hope? Well, it's based upon this special revelation that he's received from the Lord. Verse 23, this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. So he's pointing them to God. And he told me, don't be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. This is in conjunction with what Paul has been told before. Remember Acts chapter 23, verse 11 the Lord stands be, beside him and says, take courage, that, that same word of exhortation, don't, don't be afraid, for as you have testified the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. So he gives this word of correction, then he gives this word of hope, and the word of hope is based upon God's special revelation. He points the people that he's, he's with to that word of special revelation. And, and because he has God's special revelation, earlier in verse 10, he was just giving his own advice, but because he has God's special word, now there's a, 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 stronger, there, there's a stronger tone to it. This is what you have to do. Trust. Don't be afraid. So there's a word of correction, a word of hope, and then the word of exhortation. What's the word of exhortation? It's in verse 25. Take heart, take heart, be of good cheer, for I have faith in God. I believe it will be exactly as I've been told. Paul is, is pointing these men on the boat 
to the Lord and to trust in the Lord's Word. Three applications that, that I want us to make as we think about this first principle. Number one, don't give up on people. There may be a variety of reasons you want to give up. Don't give up on people. Some of you are on the verge of about to giving up on the people that God has called you to serve. Don't give up on people. You may be hurt that your advice wasn't heard. You had this advice you were giving the people that you love and, and, and they didn't listen to you. Or maybe you were even betrayed by someone that you were trying to give counsel to. They didn't listen to you. We have to grasp this truth. Your call to love and serve people was never based on their loving and serving you well. God's call on you to, to love and to serve people was never based on how well they were going to treat you. Don't give up on people. And now there's, there's great peace, I think, that comes with this realization. Our call to love and serve has almost nothing to do with the way that people treat us. There's a book that someone gave me right as I was beginning ministry. And it's a book that kind of has a cult following among pastors. It's called Well-Intentioned Dragons. Maybe some of you have, have heard of it before. It's, it's an older book, but it somehow remains in print. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's like disaster story after disaster story of these things that pastors go through. And a well-intentioned dragon is a person in the church who doesn't mean necessarily to, to cause trouble, but they make ministry very, very difficult. The first chapter talks about this pastor, Pastor Tyler, and he, he comes into this, this ministry and in this church. He's a young guy, and, and he has a person in the church, a church treasurer named Dwayne, and Dwayne's wife, Linda, and they're people that are kind of nearing retirement age, and so they're a little bit older than he is, and Dwayne, the church treasurer, and his wife, Linda, just begin to give Tyler, unintentionally, they begin to give him grief immediately, and it's just really discouraging for him. So, for example, uh, Linda is, is great at, re, at, at, doing, uh, at meeting people in malls, and she keeps kind of introducing uh, the, the pastor, Tyler, to these different people she's met at the malls, and she'll give him their, their phone number and says, hey, you need to call this person I met with at the mall and, and share with them the gospel. And then she'll see in the next, hey, did you call that person? And why aren't they here? And so, well, they, they didn't really respond to me. I, I tried calling, but they, they didn't want to come. And she'll be, oh, that's kind of disappointing. They didn't do a better job. And then, you know, she'll, she'll introduce them to someone at church and say, I brought this person or you need to meet this new person. And then the next week, the person won't come back. And she'll, she'll ask the pastor, why didn't, why didn't that person come back? He goes, I don't know. And she goes, well, I guess you just didn't do a very good job. Great them last week. And finally, she just keeps bringing these people to Tyler, and Tyler has to tell her, look, I, I need you to help me with this, you know. She goes, I, I can't follow up on all these people, and, and uh, I'm obviously disappointing you. Maybe, maybe you could follow up on, on some of these people. And she agrees to, but she shakes her head in sadness and says, boy, I guess they just don't make pastors the way they used to, right? Things don't get better. She shares with her Bible study class about Tyler's inability to share the gospel effectively. Dwayne, in his Sunday school class, begins to talk about how they need to pray for their pastor so he can be more effective in his ministry. The pastor starts telling about specific things, or 
Dwayne starts telling the pastor about specific things he needs to preach against. And this is a true story. All, this, all the stories in this book are true. You need to start preaching, for example, he says, more against divorce. Uh, totally unaware of all the marital counseling that, that Tyler is, is doing for people. They had a, Dwayne and Tyler had a disagreement about an issue regarding uh, elder qualifications. And Dwayne talks to Tyler about it. And says, Tyler says, yeah, I'll talk with the other elders about that. But instead of letting Tyler get back to him, Dwayne brings it up at a business meeting and says, hey, is it true that you guys are weak on this issue? And, and Tyler's like, oh, just so discouraged. One of the boiling points is, is reached once one week whenever Tyler realizes he hasn't gotten his, his paycheck yet. And so he goes to Dwayne as the church treasurer and says, hey, didn't get my, my paycheck. And Dwayne says, well, you weren't here last week. And so if you're not here, why should we pay you? Right? And Tyler's like, it was, it was a vacation that the elders approved. Over and over again, this, that situation just begins to eat at Tyler until he gets to the point where he's just so discouraged he, he, he thinks about quitting. But the book tells Tyler decided to, to persevere. He continued in the ministry. And the book kind of talks, as it talks about Tyler, it says, look, there's, there's no fairy tale ending to Tyler's situation. But he's called to persevere. You can replace pastor with parent, or, or parent with manager, or Manager with care group leader, care group leader with volunteer member of a board. Over and over again, we find ourselves in these situations where there's these people who just make our lives purposefully, it seems, difficult. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. You may feel discouraged as you see, man, these people that I love have strayed so far. You may feel vindicated even as people suffer as they do things you've, you've told them not to do. Don't give up on them. Don't give up on them until they or you are on your last breath. Do not give up on the sheep. Even those who are no longer under our care, what do we do? We continue to believe that God will do good things to them and through them. Sometimes the care that we offer is to give them space, right? Paul does that here. He kind of backs off for a time until... God makes it apparent that it's time to go forward. But we don't give up. We don't give up. Another point of application from this, this first principle, not only do we not give up on people, secondly, we stand up because we're motivated by love. There are times that you and I stand up because we're motivated by love. It says here that Paul stands up in the midst of them. There's this, this time when the time is right, and at that moment, Paul stands up and he, and he speaks. There's times where we need to man up or woman up, as the case may be, and speak the truths to the people that we love. Sadly, People are often motivated by, by wrong things, but here I believe Paul's motivated by, by love. And so at the, the right time, and I believe, by the way, that's one of the most under, uh, un, underappreciated aspects of leadership is, is choosing your timing right. At the right time, Paul, Paul stands up, stands up, and he speaks. A, a third point of application here, we exhort the people in the storm to, 
to take heart. I love the phrase, how it's worded in verse 22 and 25. He says, I urge you to, to take heart. Verse 25, take heart, men. I have faith in God. It will be exactly as I've been told. Be cheerful of heart. Part of the exhortation was repentance. Then part of the exhortation was uh, and correction and then the hope and then the exhortation, take heart. Don't give up. Leaders, persevere in pointing people to God's special revelation. Number two, second thing I want us to think about. Leaders exhort people to do hard things. Leaders exhort people to do hard things. Look at verse 27. It's now the 14th night of, of their journey, and, and it's come, and they're being driven across the Adriatic Sea, and they're there, and we saw in the Mediterranean, it's about midnight, and, and the, the sailors begin to suspect that something is, is wrong, and they decide to, it says, take a, a sounding to see how deep they are. And so, uh, as, as they do so, they, they find that they are about uh, 20, 20 fathoms from the, the bottom of the ocean. Now, it, it seems like for a moment that people were willing to listen to Paul. They said, okay, we'll, we'll give them a chance, but the, the time has continued to, to go on. The storm has not stopped. They, they find themselves still unable to, to see around them, and now it's, it's night, it's, it's the darkness of night, and the, the, the wind is still going, the rain is still going, and uh, you can imagine being a sailor on this ship, and, and you can't see anything, you have no idea how far you are from land, but you have this, this sense that you've been traveling for a while, and it is very likely that within moments, the next sound you hear could be the sound of the ship breaking apart as it runs aground. And so they're, they're freaking out a little bit. They, they realize we, we could be dead within the hour, and there's, there's fear. So they, they take a, a sound and say, okay, we're, we're 20 fathoms. So 20, a fathom is about uh, one of me, basically. So that's 120 feet to the, to the ground. And then they take another, fathom, another sounding a little bit later, verse 28 tells us. And now they're, they're 15 fathoms, or about 90 feet, and... It says in verse 29, they're, they're afraid, right? They're, they're afraid they're going to run on the rocks. And so they let down four anchors from the back. That's to, to keep them from going any further. And they, it says, prayed for day to come. Let us see the light. They're freaking out. And then, and then, driven by self-interest, some deceptively attempt to flee in verse 30, right? It says, the sailors want to get off the boat. They recognize that they're on this, this bigger vessel and they can run aground, and once they run aground, everybody could be in a lot of trouble. And so they say, okay, we need to get into a lighter vehicle. Now, this would, this would also be incredibly dangerous from the dude to get into a smaller boat with all the waves going around, but they, they figured that their odds were better in a smaller boat at night even than in this larger boat. And so they decide to escape, and they've, they've lowered the ship's boat into the sea, pretending like they were laying anchors from the, the front of the boat. And Paul sees what's going on, and he delivers some hard truths. He says to the centurion and, and the soldiers, he says, look, if, if, if some people leave, none of us are going to survive. 
He says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. By the word, that word saved, we, we've seen words related to salvation or, or being delivered. Uh, we see like eight times in this, this passage, over and over again, this idea of being saved and delivered. Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And so here's the amazing thing. The soldiers listened to Paul. Here's this guy that started off the journey as a prisoner on the boat, and his influence has gained as the ship's journey has continued. They've recognized that he was right. Again, his word of correction was effective. And, and now the centurion is listening to this prisoner and doing something that was incredibly counterintuitive and cutting away the ropes from this boat and allowing it to go into the sea. couple points of application. Three here. Number one, recognize that people are driven by their self-interest. It should make us cynical. It shouldn't discourage us. But our task as leaders is to help people understand that what is in their true best interest is to fulfill the purpose for which they were created. And, and that's worship of God. Not their own exaltation, but God's. And so we recognize this reality that, that people are going to be driven by their self-interest. And so whenever the people that we're shepherding are our children, the people in the organization that we're a part of, that the people that are our coworkers, when we find that they're driven by self-interest, we don't act all shocked and say, my, how could you ever be so selfish? We recognize that that's the reality of life. And in God's grace, that's, that's what we use to point them to, to, to Christ. Look, yeah, we understand you want to be happy. You want good things. I want good things for you as well. Now let's talk about how you can receive the greatest joy. So that'd be one point of application. A second point of application would be this. Prepare yourself to encourage people to do hard things. There are some hard things we have to encourage people to do, and they're hard because sometimes the things that we need to call people to do are, are counterintuitive. In other words, you're on a boat, and your odds of survival are decreasing day by day, and what you would logically want to do is keep all options available for as long as possible. And so something that's very counterintuitive is to, to cut the ropes off a, an escape option. But that's exactly what they do. That's exactly what Paul has to exhort them to do. You and I are going to have to exhort people to do counterintuitive things as well in order to obey Scripture, things that seem counterintuitive. So the things that we're going to encourage people to do that are hard are, are sometimes hard because they don't make sense to us in our flesh, and, and they're also hard because they're going to, to be uncomfortable. They're going to cause harm. They're going to cause stress we have to use our influence to call people to pursue paths that are greater than their own fleshly self-interest. By God's grace, at, at times, we're going to have to look around at, at the people in our lives, and some of us, and this is my struggle sometimes, I, I like to be liked, I like to, to tell people nice things, I, I, I don't like to tell people to do the hard things sometimes that are never going to be painful for them, but sometimes you and I need to look people in the eye whom we love and tell them, look, you got to cut the ropes. That this path that you think is a path that's going to lead to joy, you've you got to get rid of it. This is not going to be a path that brings joy in your life. 
A leader knows that there are points of decision where they can't take both paths, and the, ba- the best path is a hard one. You're a parent, and you have to tell your kid, look, you, you cannot be popular with the kids you want to be popular with and follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. I, I know that's a hard path. I know it's going to be a, a path that, that brings difficulty and, and some pain and some tears, and you're going to lose some relationships. Do it. You're, in, you're at your, your work, and, and you know that the path that is going to be the path that everyone wants to walk on is, is a path that is not an, an ethical path. And you're going to have to tell them, look, I know maybe it even seems kind of like a gray area, but this is not a path that's going to lead to to joy. It's not going to be a path that honors the Lord. It's not going to be the right path. We need to walk this other path. And I I know it's not a popular thing to say. I know it's not a a popular thing to do, but this is what we're going to do. As much as I have the ability to, to influence this decision here. Cut the ropes. How can you do that? How can you have the confidence to call people to do hard things? Well, that's the third point of application I'd give us here. Remain firmly grounded in your conviction that God's word is true. Paul is absolutely convinced that what God has told him is true. There is no other option available to Paul but to walk in obedience to God. It's not what most leaders would do in this circumstance, but Paul's confidence is in God. He says, okay, this is what we're going to do. This conviction, this conviction that God's word is true is the only thing that will allow us by God's grace to persevere. It is so easy to give up as a leader, in calling people who are difficult to continue to do the hard things. It is so easy to just wash our hands of it and walk away. It's so easy to not call people to do the hard things, but a conviction that God's word is true will sustain us in the storm. Because we believe that God's word is true, we tell the wealthy person, look, It's worth it to let go of your money in order to follow Christ. Because we believe that God's word is true, we can tell the single person, look, it is is better to follow Christ and to live a life alone than to pursue that relationship with that person who is not a believer. It is is because we believe that God's word is true that we can tell the the person who is struggling with same-sex attraction, look, it is better to lead a life to live a life of of celibacy than it is to pursue this path. Because we believe that God's word is true, we can can tell a a young person that it's worth it to to give up a a career path that's going to take them away from the Lord and instead follow after the Lord, even though it will cost them dearly financially. You know it because you believe God's word. And you believe that a path that isn't obedient to God ends in death. But, beloved, we cannot persevere in those calls in people's lives unless we remain convinced that thus saith the Lord as we come to Scripture. Whatever hard thing you're facing this morning, my, my word of encouragement to you would be the same. Look, cut the rope. Cut the, you, you, maybe you're thinking of a situation right now where Boy, the the path of obedience seems so difficult. Cut the rope. 
I say that with confidence, not because I have some sort of special insight in and of myself, but because I believe that God's word is true. Cut the rope. Let the boat fall. Trust the Lord. Third principle here. Leaders move people from chaos to peace, right? Paul considers the circumstances. It's been 14 days that they they haven't had food, and now the the day is beginning to dawn, and and Paul says, look, you guys got to eat. Today's the 14th day. You've continued in suspense, and without food, you've taken nothing. Take some food, verse 34. He's aware of the situation in which the people are, and and we need to be as well, right? We're, We're aware of the damage that the storms cause. He urges them to eat, and he reminds them of the promise that's been made, right? He says, look, I, not, a hair of your, of, not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And then, and then this is interesting too, he, he models trust. He does what he's encouraging them to do. He begins to, to eat, and he gives thanks. And some have said, well, maybe this is a, a picture of the Lord's Supper being taken here on the boat. We don't know that for sure, but, but certainly there's this, this element of thanksgiving that goes with it for those who are believers that are partaking of it. But it says that they, the, the sailors then are encouraged to follow his example. They don't get out of the storm, by the way, do they? But in the midst of that crisis that they continue to find themselves in, they eat. They have peace, even though they're not yet out of the storm. And that's what a leader does. A leader moves people from chaos to peace as God allows even before the crisis passes. A couple applications here, three really. One, you and I must be aware of the damage that storms have caused in people's lives. When we tell people we want them to trust in God, when we tell people that we want to move them from chaos to peace, we don't pretend like there hasn't been significant damage. We don't just say, oh, just uh, it, it's okay, trust God, those, those bad things, it's like they didn't even really happen. No, we, we acknowledge the devastation that the storm has caused. Paul, as he looks around at the sailors, recognizes that it's been 14 days, they haven't eaten, and there's, there's, there's danger to them. He acknowledges the, 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 the situation in which these people find themselves in. We, we think about the damage done by Hurricane Ian this, this past week. You see the the, the pictures of, of devastation, and many of you have vacation there, or maybe some of you have loved ones who have homes there, and you just, you, as you see the pictures, it's never going to be this, as it was, right? Um, daughter was asked, we've, we've been at Fort Myers Beach a couple times, and uh, daughter was asking me, about, what about this place? And I'm like, it, it's, it's gone. I mean, 80% is it's gone. It's never going to come back the way that it was. It's, it's going to be forever altered. We don't pretend that's not the case. Even in the midst of the crisis, we don't pretend everything's okay. Don't worry. We say, okay, this crisis is real. The damage done by the storm is real. Now, as we acknowledge the incredible devastation of the storm, at the same time, we say, okay, in this storm that's, that's truly devastating, at the same time, let's talk about the one who is greater still than the storm. The second point of application would be this. We need to think about how to move people through the storm. And when I say through the storm, I don't mean like through the storm and then out of it. I mean in the midst of the storm, how do we move people through it? How do, how do we take the people that we love, our children, and okay, they're going through some sort of crisis. 
How do we move them through that in a way where they can have peace even in the midst of the storm? One of the ways is we point them to God's Word, right? I was reading a a book this past week, and it quoted Amos chapter 8. And and let me read Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 12. Listen to this really carefully. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. So listen, he describes this famine. He says, it's not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. But what, what kind of famine is it? Do you know? Yeah, a famine, a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. There's going to be a time where there's this, this devastation that's happening on the land, and it's because they're not hearing the words of God. They shall wander from, wander from sea to sea and from north to south. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. So don't let the people that God has entrusted to your care starve. Paul here on the boat gives them the, the physical nourishment of food that they need. Brothers and sisters, we have been called by God to give the people that we lead his food, his bread, his word. Moms, dads especially, I, I would call you, as God is giving you the grace to have children in the, in the home perhaps, you need to not starve them. Spend time giving them, them God's word. And my encouragement, would, just as a practical thing, would be on a daily basis. Sit down with your children, read God's word. I just found this resource this past week uh, that if, if any of you want, let, let me know, and uh, you can order it, or if, if you can't afford it, let me know. Uh, it's the Family Worship Bible Guide. And what this does is it just takes every chapter in the Bible and gives a, a couple paragraphs or a paragraph about that chapter, helping you. Maybe some of you are kind of intimidated. You say, I, I want to read the Bible with my family, but if I read the Bible with my family, I don't always know what it's saying. This can kind of help you give some, some great insights. Or buy an ESV study Bible. That's a, a great thing resource to have is you read your, your kids will ask you dad what does this mean or mom what does this mean you say well that means and you look at the notes and you look very very intelligent yeah. no seriously you point them to, to god's grace right don't let your people starve leaders move people from chaos to peace they give them god's word and a third point of application here is you model peace you move people from chaos to peace and one of the ways you do that is by modeling peace. You model peace in the present, in the storm, based upon your hope in the future. And that brings us to the fourth point I want us to consider this morning. Leaders trust God to ultimately bring his people to safety. The wreck that has been predicted since verse 10 finally occurs they, it's day, they don't recognize the land, they notice a beach, and so they say, okay, maybe may, our goal will be to get as close as possible, and just kind of run the ship ashore, and they, they let go of the anchors, and they go into the sea, and they, they begin to, to sail toward the beach, but they hit this reef, and they run the vessel aground, the, the bow is stuck, it won't move, and the, the, the stern is being broken up by the surf, and the, the ship is toast. And the soldiers have this plan, let's, let's kill all the prisoners, but The centurion wants to save Paul. He says, no. And he orders everyone who can swim to jump overboard and to swim for the land. And everyone else goes on these planks or on pieces of the ship. And they begin to make their way to the land. 
And then it says in, in verse 44, everybody is, is saved. And that's a, the sixth of the eight times a, a word for salvation is used in the text. There's going to be two more as we land on the island of Malta next, next week. Here, here's the points of application I would, I would have you, the, the point of application I would have you draw from, from this. Entrust your sheep to their true shepherd. Your sheep, whatever the context of your sheep is, your sheep don't belong to you. They they belong to the Lord. And some of us, and I I include myself here, we would say I I believe that. We would say, yeah, I affirm that. that sheep Sheep are God's, not mine. But I don't really believe that. If I really believe that, the way in which I operated would be much different. The, the way in which my, my heart thought about my children would be different if I truly believed that, that the sheep were actually ultimately God's. And, and what I would, would say is, look, God has called us in His grace to trust our sheep to Him. And my worry about my ministry, my worry about my children, my worry about my coworkers reveals that I don't truly trust the sheep to the Lord, to their shepherd. Tim Keller has a book called The Prodigal God, and in the, in the book he writes this. He writes, home, and he's quoting Robert Frost at this point, home is where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And as he's talking about the two sons, he says, look, the, the, the parable could really be called not the parable of the prodigal son, but the parable of the two lost sons. Both sons are, are separated from the, the father. Neither son truly loves the father. The hearts of the two brothers, he writes, were the same. Both sons resented their father's authority. They sought ways of getting out from under it. Both were alienated from the, the father's heart. Both were lost sons. Neither son loved the father for himself. And so what did each son need? Each son needed, argues Keller, a, a, a prodigal God. And, and prodigal doesn't mean spendthrift. Prodigal, he says, prodigal means to spend until you have nothing left. He writes, this term is therefore as appropriate for describing the father in the story as the younger son. The father's welcome to the repentant son was literally reckless because he refused to reckon or count his son against him or demand or to demand repayment. In the story, the Father represents the Heavenly Father Jesus knew so well. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not reckoning to them their trespasses. Now, you and I are tempted to give up with the sheep. Last week, do you remember what the last principle was? Many of you have talked about it with me this last week. The last point last week was was we go into the leaders go into the storm with the sheep, right? We all go into the storm together. Now that's a that's what it should be. It's a nice thought, but it's not always reality. In fact, maybe some of you last week when I said that said, "Well, that's that's great, Daniel, but I'm in a storm right now, and the people who are supposed to be spiritually caring for me have not gone in this storm with me the way that they need to." Maybe even some of you thought, "Daniel, you haven't gone in the storm with me the way that you need to," and to which I would say, "You're right." I want to. The spirit is well willing, but the flesh is weak. 
You and I, unlike God, are tempted to give up. You and I are tempted to, and sometimes do, abandon the sheep in the storm. Even though we bail on the sheep, we're tempted to believe somehow, this is the crazy thing, even though there is example after example after example in our lives where we can point to where, yeah, I gave up my, my kids there, I didn't follow my, my kids in the storm well here, I didn't care for the people in my care group well here, we're, we're still tempted to believe we can care for our people better than God can. It's ludicrous. I remember whenever we were uh, pregnant with Hannah, I had this, you know, as, as she was inside the, the womb, I thought, boy, I, I just, once she gets out, then we can take care of her. Within 14 days of her being born, she was in a life and death situation. There was nothing I could do. Either through lack of will or just lack of ability, we do not have the ability to, to care for the sheep. We don't have the strength. God does. He's the great shepherd. He's the, the the, the, the father and the, the story of the, the two lost sons who's, who's always willing to receive the sheep. As we consider the, the, final port, point, the, the final port of destination in eternity, it's only God who can get the sheep there. Paul would make it to Rome by God's grace and while in Rome in a prison, he would write this in Philippians chapter 1. He's able to say this while he's in a Roman prison as he talks to the people in Philippi. Paul can't be there in Philippi caring for them. Paul can't, can't get them to salvation. But just as God in this story brings everyone to safety on this island, so it is God and God alone who ultimately brings the people we love to safety. Philippians chapter 1. Paul says this, as he can't be with the people in Philippi, he says, look, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. God isn't in prison. God isn't limited in his patience. God isn't limited in his power. God isn't limited in his love. God will bring his mission to completion. And so, we entrust our sheep, not to our own care, but in the care of their great, loving, heavenly Father. And what do we do? Just like we said last week, we continue to proclaim the gospel to our sheep. Look, we're sinners. We're separated from God because of our sin. We do not have the ability to, to save ourselves. We don't have the ability to save our sheep. We, we simply have the ability to, to hear the good news of the gospel and to proclaim it. The good news of the gospel that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins, to be raised from the dead. And then if we place our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for our salvation, we can be saved. And we can be confident the same God who draws us to himself to believe that message, that same God will not let his gospel fail. He will bring us to the, the final port of our destination. And he will bring all of his sheep there. Let's pray. Father, our trust this morning is in you and in you alone. We, we pray that as leaders we would be those who are constantly pointing our, our sheep to you. We thank you for your salvation. 
We thank you for the, the hope that we have in you. And Father, some of us this morning are, are tempted to give up. We're, we're ready to, to stop loving the people that you've called us to love. Father, help us to persevere in hard ministries and in ministries with people we love. Let us not give up. Let us continue in the midst of storms to call your people to greater faithfulness to you, to call the unbeliever to repent and to believe the gospel. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.